The mercy of the height. You have found mercy. You have found mercy. You have found mercy in my side. You have found mercy in my side. You have found mercy. Mercy has found you. Mercy has found you. Mercy has found you. For you see, these things are opening up, not just because you are worthy of them, but it's because my mercy found you. It's because my mercy found you. My mercy found you. My mercy found you. The mercy of the highest found you. The mercy of the highest found you. The mercy of the highest found you. For this light, this light, this light that is shining from him, that is mercy, is eating, is eating to many, is eating to the prudent, is eating to the wise, is eating to the prudent, it is eating to the wise. But you have found mercy. You have found mercy. You have found mercy. 
mercy. You have found mercy. For my mercy, I've said I would have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I would have compassion on whom I will have compassion. For my mercy finds those who come to me as they are. My mercy comes to those who come to me as they are. Just keep coming as you are. For my mercy will make it clean. My mercy will make it all. My mercy would make it all. You have found mercy and great mercy is opening up to you. As you come, I am anointing you. As you come, there is an anointing of the highest is coming upon you. The anointing of the anointed one is coming. As my light shines, I am anointing. As my light shines, I am anointing. And that anointing will guide you. The anointing will lead you. For you have found mercy. Mercy of the heights. Mercy of the heights. My mercy. My own mercy. My mercy. My mercy. My mercy will lead you. My mercy has found you. For stay in my mercy. Stay in my mercy. For that is the way of me. Stay in my mercy. Says the Spirit of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Name Jesus. Glory to your name, Jesus. Glory to your name, Jesus. We bless your name, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your mercy, Jesus. Thank you for your mercy, Jesus. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. 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 I feel you up to bring you. I feel you up to bring you up. I feel you. Our Lord, we worship you. Our Lord, we honor you. Our Lord, we bless you. Our Lord, we give you praise. We worship you today. We bless your name. Thank you for your mercy here. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for the pasture of the word which you have, the word which you've set before us. Thank you, Lord, for the provision of your mercy and the provision of your spirit. Thank you for the bread from heaven. Thank you for bringing down bread to us. Thank you for even the, the mercy in your heart 
that is making us feed and find pasture constantly. Thank you for constantly opening up your word to us. Thank you for constantly giving us of your spirit. Thank you for constantly filling us with life and Lord with so much riches. Thank you for spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We honor you. Lord, we come to your table again this morning. We come before you to come for you to feed us. Come and feed your people. Feed your children. Father, we ask you, let your bread come today. Let your provision come to every heart and every soul. Lord, I ask for a preparation by your spirit, Lord. Come and go before us and prepare our heart. Water it for the seed of your word to flow this morning. I ask, Lord, that you will cause me to minister your word by the ability which you supply, that I will not lean on my own understanding. But, Father, that your Holy Ghost, Lord, will lead us through and help us, guide us on the path which we ought to take today. Thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the gift of understanding, and the provision of mercy and grace which you give to every heart this morning. Lord, I ask for a spiritual deposit upon every soul that every person will be blessed by your, by your hand, by your touch this morning. I ask, Lord, for further breakthrough. I ask for, Lord, further baptisms. I ask, Lord, for further increase. I ask for further saturation in the hearts, in all our hearts, Lord, by your spirit and by your presence. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, let turn your word into, into something that's so rich, Lord. Make it rich in our heart. Anoint it. May it find a, a spiritual place, Lord, in our depths. Thank you, Lord, this morning. We give all the glory, all the glory, all the glory, all the glory, all the glory to you. Thank you, Spirit of the Lord. We honor you. We worship you. We worship you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. To be held aside. Kamanai Kamano. Kamanos. Almantai. To far Hari Hamos. Ori Pata Lipras to prayer. Ebasai Mekano. Amanai. Amanai. Amanai says, Hadoske, Epretus, Empretus, Empretus. Thank you, our Father. We give all the glory to your holy name. In in Jesus, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. <coughs> Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. Amen. This is your table, Lord. Come and feast and come and prepare it. Prepare this table and, and feed us and break your bread and give it to us and feed our soul and, and give us spiritual bread this morning. Thank you, Father. Oh, we thank you. We thank you. We, we give you praise and we worship you, oh Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Um, 
Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 4. <clears throat> Romans chapter 4. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you're there, say amen. amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Can just welcome someone and say you're welcome in Jesus' name. Praise God. Amen. Thank you all for coming. Thank you for, I know it's like you are laboring a lot, but you are laboring for others to be blessed by this. So I want to just thank you for sowing the seed of love for the rest of your brethren. Praise God. Um, amen. Are we ready for the word this morning? You ready? Say amen. amen. Say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, I didn't hear that. Are, are you sure? Yes, sir. Praise God. Hallelujah. Father, we commit it to you. I ask, let, let the words, Lord, be, let it be passed across as you will have it this morning. We do not approach your table with haste. We come um, recognizing that you have something to speak, something to say to us. I pray you will give us the right attitude this morning to to, to draw out of the wells of salvation. Praise God. Amen. So Romans 4, from verse 1, it says, For what shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, the, he had whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Is Abraham believed God and it was accounted, it was counted unto him for, for righteousness. Praise God. So his belief of God was counted unto him for, for righteousness. Now to him that walketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that walketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Praise God. This is the principle to be explaining to you why his belief in God was counted to him for righteousness. It's, it's showing you that, that it is because he did not work but believed instead. Praise the Lord. He did not work, but he, he believed on him that justifies the ungodly. And then his faith is counted. Such a person who refuses to work, but instead chooses to believe in he who brings justification. But our justification is also righteousness. To be justified means justification is the, is the end of righteousness. It's the product of righteousness. It's what righteousness is meant to achieve. That When a person has righteousnesses, the purpose of that is to make that man be justified. 
praise God. And of course, yeah. the, 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 the point of judgment is before God. Right? God is the person before whom we have to do according to the scripture. Um, but a lot of men don't think a lot about before God. We prefer to be justified before men and before society and before you know, other things. But the right place where a man should seek to be justified is before God. Praise the Lord. And for justification before God, there is a process that and a law concerning a man who will be justified before God, that such a man must not work. He must not work, but instead he must believe in God. Do you see that? Who justified the ungodly? And the reason why man should not work is because when an ungodly man works, it, his work is what? Is ungodly, right? It's ungodly. It's not possible for the work of an ungodly man to bring him justification. Praise God. Now, but, but there is, of course, we all know that there are works that men should do which are works, but those works are works in righteousness. And they are works that righteousness demands. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now so, but to him that walketh not, but believeth on him, that justify the ungodly, then his faith is, is what counted for righteousness. His faith is counted for righteousness. That even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man, unto whom God imputed righteousness without works. Praise the Lord. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are, are covered. Whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed, blessed is such a man whose, whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Praise God. And blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Right, so this, this blessedness is the same nature of blessedness as, as David was saying. David was the one who described the blessed man in Psalm chapter 1. And blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor seated in the seat of the scornful, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Sorry. And for he whose Delight is in the law of the Lord, for does he meditate day and night? Praise God. And then spoke about the ungodly there in that same chapter, and he now says that the ungodly will not stand in where? In the judgment. So the ungodly will not stand in the judgment because the ungodly refuse the process of justification before God. So because of that, the ungodly man cannot stand in the judgment of God. Praise the Lord. What stand in judgment? It doesn't mean God won't judge him. It means that when God has judged, he won't be found standing. Praise the Lord. That after God judges, he won't be what? He won't, he won't be found standing. Praise the Lord. So this thing about walketh not, but believeth on him, there is the power of belief the importance of belief, or what you call faith, belief, um, it can't be overemphasized. It is actually the core of all Christian experience. Christianity is the, is the 
amplification of the power of belief. Right, that or Christianity. Christianity is a religion that anchors everything on belief. Right, that that you step outside belief, nothing is accepted. It's the only religion, if I can call it a religion, where it has, which has such a framework. Every other thing, every other religion, does not operate that way. Praise God. Every other religion hinges on works. But Christianity is separate. It's different. It, it came through the faith door. Right? The door of faith, that door and, and that capacity for faith is something that God has put inside every soul from the beginning. Praise God. But, but that is a, is a faculty on the inside of every soul that has been dead and Satan has tried to kill and diminish. So the Lord has been trying for a long time to keep it alive. Praise God, because there will come a time when that faculty of faith needs to be used by God. Praise the Lord. So this way of justification, I faith, that's the way through which our father Abraham received his own righteousness. Praise the Lord. That's the way our father, who Abraham, received his righteousness. Abraham was not righteous because he, there are things Abraham did, right, which were in obedience. Sometimes he disobeyed God and then God corrected it. And then at some other point, it, he began to obey God, right? When at first, he went, he, he, when Ishmael came, that was out of disobedience. And then later, Isaac came. And then he continued to believe God. And even when God asked for Isaac, he continued to believe God. Praise the Lord. And he believed God to the end. Now, now, it wasn't those works that Abraham did. Those were not what justified Abraham. It was, it was something before the works. And those works were a product of that thing, which means that Abraham was already righteous before he took, it means the righteousness of giving his only son to God, which is what we think is the peak of, of his obedience. That the righteousness to do that was it wasn't that God was watching? Let's see if Abraham will do this. Then, if Abraham does it, then God will take and say, Okay, now you've done it. This is now you are now a righteous man. It's not that's not the point where it was counted to him for righteousness. Praise the Lord. It was the point at which it was counted to him was the point when the faith to do such a thing possessed his heart. The scripture did not record such a moment because it's such a, a hidden. It's difficult for you to know the exact moment when someone, something, enters into a man. When the moment when a man becomes capable of something, you don't necess- even he himself does it. Didn't know just that the test showed and revealed that wow, he's actually capable of doing this. Praise the Lord. Do you see that? So, so righteousness is a, is a very spiritually, very invisible thing. Is a purely spiritual thing that is hard to just outwardly measure. Now, there is a way righteousness actually uh, manifests in the natural realm where it can be discerned, of course, not naturally, but spiritually, praise God, where righteousness can be discerned. But what those outward, whatever thing righteousness produces, 
most times could also be produced without righteousness. That's why God does not look at what men do. Rather, he, he checks on the inside and checks whether is that thing called righteousness, that thing or what we call, what we now understand to be belief or faith, is it, is it hidden? Is it in the inside of a man? Is it present within a person? And it's based on the presence of a thing. That's how God approves a man. That's what counts a man to be righteous. Praise the Lord. Now, in the book of, in the book of 1 John, there's a way John spoke about righteousness. I think 1 John chapter 5, he said, Do not be deceived. He said that he that doeth righteousness is righteous. So that's the way sometimes the right, those men speak. It's, hard, it's easy to confuse what they are saying. Now, what he's not saying is that doing it is what made you righteous. Is that because you have righteousness, that's why you are righteous. So what it means is that when you see a man doing righteousness, it's because he is righteous. Do you see that? He said, when he that doeth righteousness, that word doeth is also a continuous state term, right? Is that it also means that he didn't just do one righteous thing, that he is a doer of righteousness. That when a man is a doer, is able to perpetuate righteousness, it's because righteousness already exists on the inside of him. Are you seeing that? So that's where, that's where you, you, without, um, this is a great, it's a great lesson, okay? Now, there are many of us, what I'm saying right now, it shouldn't even sound too new. It's not new, it's just, it's what we know. Right, I mean, we ask what's the whole point of Christianity? Is that well, it's, it's an era of grace that you know by faith, you know, you receive righteousness by faith. We know all those things, but we don't know them. We don't know it. Um, the way that we, we, the way we show we don't know it is in how we live. <laughs> Do you understand that? The way that you know we don't know. This is one of the, the least known things among Christians. Yet it's the most known thing among Christians. Now, whenever I see such a conundrum, such a problem, it means that there is a very wicked spirit at work. Where the most obvious thing is the most elusive. Praise God. If you, I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure if you really check Christians, one of the, the things, a, a lot of Christians, one of the things that you... Christians lack the most is faith. And, and Christians speak about faith. They even name their children faith. <laughs> Praise God. Faith. Amen. When you go into the, in their house, you see you see picture framed. Faith. Faith, hope, love. Praise the wear shirts, branded shirts. Faith and everything. Amen. But so, if faith, it seems like a very basic thing, but faith is not faith is not a common commodity. Faith is actually difficult to find, right? Is a faith is a is a very strange, is a rare commodity on the earth. So when I say faith, I mean living faith, active faith, real faith. Raw, actual, potent, alive faith that is at, in the heart of a person. It's rare upon the earth. Why? Because of all the things that are 
built and raised by Satan to kill faith, to stifle faith, to destroy faith, to steal faith, to remove faith. Amen. The world itself, the spiritual thing we call the world is an engineering of darkness against faith. Praise the Lord. So the, one of the ways that you know that men don't have faith is because how much sins that we carry. All of us, because sin is, faith is the antidote to sin, right? Whatever is not of faith is sin, right? And our lack of approval before God, which is, which is evident, right? That, that God, we, we, don't, we haven't gotten the level, the right, the level of approval before God um, that God desires for men to have. We haven't gotten that level of approval before God. Praise the Lord. Some people are, um, argue against what I'm saying. But you don't need serious theology to know what I'm saying. You just need to think about your own experience with God. Right? That is true. You understand what I'm saying? Praise the Lord. So that's why this, this matter of faith is a fundamental thing. It's a, it's a basic thing that we must understand um, about faith and righteousness and justification. Praise the Lord. So he said, a blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. To whom the Lord will not impute sin. Verse 7 said, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not, what? Impute. Will impute sin. Then cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon this upon the uncircumcision also. For we see that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Now, how was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. So all they're asking you is that by the time God counted this, his faith for righteousness, was he circumcised? Or uncircumcised. Yeah, so what it means that was it was he already a Jew according to what God terms, according to this token of being a Jew, or was he was he not yet a Jew? And say, so of course, it was before, before those things came that God already counted his what his his faith for righteousness. They said and, and he received the sign of circumcision, then the seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had yet been circumcised. So he had been uncircumcised. So before he was circumcised, he received the sign of circumcision. And the sign of circumcision, what circumcision actually represents, is the righteousness of faith. It's a seal. It's a seal of the righteousness of faith. That was for Abraham, am I correct? Praise God. A seal. The word seal here is, you can use the word, we can see the word seal as something you use to stamp something, right? Or, or you can look at it as something that is maybe full, when something is full. That one being full. In, the, in this place, you can, there's both, there are both meanings here. In terms of for Abraham, 
it was a seal of his own acquisition, right? Because he, was, he had come into a, series, a high stature of righteousness. And then the Lord said, okay, for, for this righteousness, we'll put a token for, for, we'll give this token to you. In other words, you have walked in righteousness in your soul enough to a point where your, your flesh can carry a sign, a mark of it. Praise God. And then he put that mark upon his body. But then that seal is also not just signifies fullness. Seal also, also um, represents a, a, an order, a law, or is a, is also, is a mark, a seal is also a sign. Right, the word seal can also be a sign. Like when you see they seal a document. You know, sealing a document, when you seal a document, what you're saying is that this document now is full. It means that after you seal it, nobody should write on top of it. You are breaking the law if you go and write and add to a document that has been sealed. Am I correct? So to seal it means it's closed. It should be. But that seal applied to it is also characteristic. But it's also th- saying, it also has to do with, you know, uh, it pertains to, it's also used to give credence to whatever that document is, contains. Praise the Lord. So, that, to giving credence to that thing, is saying, for, I'll give you, for example, another usage of the word seal, right, is in the Bible when he was saying that, um, for the foundation of God sounded sure, having this seal. Now, normally you don't see, that's not talking about it being full. You don't seal a foundation, right? So, but what that word seal means that this is the properties, this is the sign, this is the characteristics. So the seal speaks about the characteristics of what that thing should follow. And if it deviates from this thing, then it is not correct. It's not credible. Seal has to do with the credibility. It speaks about what makes something credible. Praise the Lord. Do you see that? It's in the uses of a seal. If someone brings an unsealed envelope to you, you won't trust, even though you open it, you read it, but there's a question in your heart. Is this all that was here? Was something, was it tampered with? Praise God. So the, the, the word seal also is also used to give credence to a particular thing. So in that place, he said that the foundation of God standard sure, having this seal, and the credence of every foundation of God, right, having this seal, that what? Let him, that name at the name of Christ, depart from iniquity. So departure from iniquity is, the, is, is what is the credence or is the credibility of the foundation that God Will, will stay on. Does that make sense? Do you see that? So, in other words, when God is going to check a foundation, whether he can land on a foundation, is that, that in, in that foundation, there must be a seal of departure from iniquity. That's a criteria. It's what makes a foundation of God credible. Do you see that? Praise the Lord. So, in this case, when he's speaking about the seal, the seal of is the righteousness of faith. 
So that every time the circumcision, you see the sign of the circumcision, right? Amen. Amen. The sign of the circumcision is actually telling, and they told every Jew to carry it. Every Jew is carrying it in their flesh. The male Jews are carrying it. It's a sign and it's also a kind of a prophecy. It's telling you that this, that you are, that the actual righteousness is a righteousness of faith. But you see, Jews are blinded. They cannot decode the meaning of the seal that they are carrying. It took Paul to come and decode that seal in the book of Romans. Right? So all this whole time, they didn't know the meaning of their of the seal of the circumcision that they were carrying is actually something that was speaking concerning the, the reality, what gives credence to them as a people. To anybody who would be a people of God must have something in, about them. And that thing is called the righteousness of faith. The righteousness of faith. Praise the Lord. The righteousness of what? Faith, and you, you now realize that by the time Jesus came on the scene, the Jews, they had deviated very far. They were actually completely ignorant of the faith of their father, Abraham. They didn't know Abraham. Right? They didn't know what his own life, what his own way, what he was about. They didn't know Abraham. They were very, very, very ignorant concerning him. Praise the Lord. So now Abraham, and we began to see this, I think we began to see it last time, that Abraham was a man before the law, right? He was a man who existed before the law. So anything, when you're, you're speaking about the law, the, the, in terms of the law giving as a way to remedy the, the moral situation of people, those things do not to Abraham. Of you walking by something higher than those things. They were saying here that why was not in the circumcision. That was when it was counted to him for righteousness. So there was a way for men to be righteous before the law. Right? Do you see that? There was a way for what men to be what? Righteous. And then when they brought the law, the law was not producing righteousness. That even while the law was still continuing, the way for men to be righteous never changed. There is only one way for a man to be righteous, which is through faith. And we've seen last time how the Hebrews chapter 11 was writing about men who, from, Afro, from the time of Moses all the way down, that there were men who were existing in the era when the law was in effect, but they were they are exploits in God were counted not based on what they did according to the law, but according to faith. So even though the law was present, God's standard for measuring men, for approving men never changed. It was still faith. That any man could find and look beyond the law and find faith and then use faith and obey faith, then they are able to receive a good report according to Hebrews 11, before God. Praise the Lord. And I I believe Paul was was speaking about it here. So he said here that, verse 11, he says that, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, had yet been 
uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe. Are you seeing that? So if you ask me, who is Abraham? Abraham really? Whose father is he? Really, Abraham is really the father of, of men that believe. Praise the Lord. He's really the, me, the father of who? Of, of, of them. He's the father of them that believe. Though they believe they be not circumcised, right? That righteousness might be what? Imputed unto them also. So even though they are not circumcised, like you and I, we are not circumcised, but righteousness can be imputed to us, and we can call Abraham our father, because Abraham was the father of all them that who? That believe. And verse 12, and the father also of circumcision. So it means that even Jews, like we saw in Hebrews 11, many of those guys, people like Moses, people like Joshua, right? All of those men were circumcised, right? But and the father of circumcision to them who are not of who are not of the circumcision only, but also who walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had yet been uncircumcised. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So as long as you walk in the steps of Abraham. Do you see that? This is very clear. Let's read it again. And the father of circumcision, to them who are not of the circumcision only. So who walk in the steps? So it's the people who walk in the steps of our father Abraham, which had been here. So we have to walk in the steps of our father Abraham. We have to learn his steps. Right? We have to know the steps of Abraham. Praise God. Let's see verse 13. For, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, Faith is made void, and the promise made of non-effect. Because the law worketh wrath, but for where no law is, there is no transgression. Then, but it is of faith that it might be by grace, to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Amen. Are you seeing that? So that's why we have to, we have to go back and, and then study the, the fate of Abraham. Do you agree? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, what was the key thing Abraham's faith? Why was, why was 
why, what is it about? How does the faith get counted for righteousness? Praise the Lord. Let's read verse, verse 20. Verse 18, it says, Who against who believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving what? Glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised him, he was what? Able. And then therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it is, was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Praise God. Amen. Do you see this? Yeah. Now, so this belief in the promise of God, that's what I wanted to see. Like, what, what is it about Abraham's faith? What made Abraham, what made it count for righteousness? It's that he believed in what God said to him or what God had promised him, right? Believing in what God has promised contrary to the natural, to what the natural is trying to show or trying to declare to you. Praise God. Contrary to what the natural was trying to show or declare to him, he believed God contrary to it. But what was key here was that he, what he believed in was the promise. That is what they counted as Abraham's faith. They counted is the belief in the promise. Now, because of the belief in the promise, you saw him begin to do different things. Right? Now, the test of sacrificing Isaac wasn't a test whether to see just about whether Abraham can take what he loves and give it away. That was not the main test. For Abraham to say, oh, Kanye, that thing you love so much, that your dear son, whom you love, even though God said it, that we should bring it. The test, it wasn't just that alone. That was not the main test. The main test was whether he actually believed that God can do what God said. Do you agree? Whether he believes that God can do what? Can do what God said. So God promised something. Then God brought the manifestation 
the, the beginning of the manifestation of what God wanted to do. Am I correct? Yes, sir. That appearance of Isaac, that was a great miracle, right? Was the first dividend of, wow, God can do this thing, right? When Isaac came, oh my God. Praise the Lord. So then God had to now test, okay, now Isaac has come. This is now the time to really, really check whether you believe, because Isaac was not the promise. Do you, do you understand that? So even though Isaac had come, God still had to test whether he believed the promise. Praise God. So that, that will show you the process in Abraham's heart. Right? That, that thing called promise is key. You cannot, you cannot have faith without the promise. Now, the reason why most Christians don't have faith, this kind of faith we are speaking about, can you tell me why? Is because they are what? Many of us Christians are what? We are ignorant concerning the promise. Now, this is the key about the faith. When they say you should walk in the steps of your father, Abraham, and then Paul is beginning to speak about the steps of Abraham here. Is that Amen. Amen. The key is that faith, the faith that we should come into, our own faith, is a faith that hinges on the promise of God. And it, it is predicated on the knowledge of the promise. The knowledge of the promise. So anyone who doesn't know the promise cannot have this faith. Do you see that? It's not possible to have this faith. They're talking about the faith of Abraham. You can't have this faith. The reason why Paul and the scripture is using, decided to use Abraham as the teaching, as the, praise God, as the lesson of faith is because by the Holy Ghost, they, they built all the critical elements of the faith, knowledge of faith into the life of Abraham. And that's what Paul is just speaking about here. He's, he's pointing out the elements of Abraham's faith. Praise the Lord. So the key, key to faith is the promise. Any soul that does not understand the promise does not have this what, this kind of faith. Praise God. So, uh, so the promise is inheritance, right? Is inheritance. Say inheritance. Inheritance. Say inheritance. Inheritance. Inheritance of what? Hmm? What are we supposed to inherit? Eternal life. Praise God. That's the ultimate inheritance. But there are two. We need to inherit life. Right? There are two inheritances. Jesus separated it that you may have life first and then have it more abundant. It's not the same thing. Having the operation of having life is not the same thing as having life more abundantly. One comes first. Praise God. Now, Christ is life. God is eternal life. Christ is life. God is more abundant life. More. The word more abundantly. 
It means more than abundance. Now, if something, some, you can have something, praise God, then you can have an abundance of something. Right? You cannot, now, if you have something, it can finish. Right? If you have an abundance of something, it can finish. Do you agree with that? If you have something, you can finish. If you have, more, if you have an abundance, it can finish. Praise the Lord. Do you know that that life is an abundant life? The, the life that of Christ is an abundant life. Right? It abounds. It abounds. It abounds. It abounds. How you know is the, the, the energy of that life is grace. Right? And the provision of, gra- of, of gracious provision of Christ is an abundant provision. So where sin did abound, grace did much. Sin also abound. Those are two. So, you can't give life when you have seen, someone has seen abundantly. Just give some life. And that's many of us, we have some life. You know what I mean? You start having some life. There's <laughs> this stupid person that has some life. And then he's happy and then rest and relax. I say, ah. You know, everybody are looking at the life that you have. This life. You're enjoying the life. Praise God, but... But that life, if, if your life is not abundant, abounding yet, means you've not even begun, to, you don't even have enough measure to counter sin. Do you get what I mean? It takes abundance of, li- abundance of life to counter sin. Right? So one of the, the problems is that for many of us, the life of Christ hasn't yet abound in us. It doesn't yet abound in us. It's not abounding. It's not abundant. Do you see that? So, abundant. There's abundant. To abound or to have an abundance of something, it, ha- it means to be sufficient for a, spe- a specific measure. Right? So, the way Christ gives life, he says, where sin did abound, then grace did much more abound. So, grace actually abounds. The, the grace of God you know, the grace of Christ is actually the grace of God. Yeah. Right? Grace came by Jesus Christ. That word grace and truth, those came, you're actually coming from God. Because when you trace God, he's, he's very thrown. They call it the throne of grace. So therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace so you can obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. So grace is actually, grace is a God product. Yeah. It's actually a God material. It's a God material. It, can, it resides in Christ. And Christ is a container of grace. But grace actually has one origin. And once it's the throne, it's God. God is the giver. He's the God of all grace, as the Bible puts it. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. So, so Christ is a, is a measure of grace. Of grace. But there, is actually more, there are more graces than Christ, higher. And when you go into the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you realize that in that God and Father, there are higher graces, the the God and the Father graces, that are higher graces than the measure of grace which you find in Christ. Praise the Lord. So, actually, the main reason for, for Christ is to give you a passageway to come into the grace that is in God. 
to make a man come into the, into the God of all grace. You know what grace is? Grace, God of all grace means the, the energy that can, that is, the energy that is more powerful that can overcome anything. That's how grace sits in God. You know, God is gracious. Right? He's gracious. God is too gracious. He's too gracious. He's too gracious. God can never be overcome by evil. He can never be overcome by sin. He can never sin. Why can he never sin? Because of how much, the way grace resides in him. Too much grace is on the inside of God. Infinite, infinities of infinities of grace on the inside of God. Praise the Lord. So, um, so Christ, so first of all, Christ comes from that you may have life in an abundant way. Praise God. But so abundance, but if you have life, you have, then you have life that is abundant. Means life, life that is abundant is life that can deal with sin. That's an abundant life. That's the life of Christ. Anybody who has come into the measure of Christ, who has come into full stature of Christ, that person, or who has come to a perfect man, that person has grace to deal with sin. Am I correct? Um, but the problem with sin is that sin can abound. That's the problem with sin. <laughs> is that sin can abound. Why? Because the, the person who manufactured sin is an abounding being, an abounding creature. No, Satan won't be able to handle the, 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 the mountain of God without being an abounding entity. He, he, he's, a, he's actually everlasting in nature. Yeah. Right? He has an everlasting nature. That, that cherub, the anointed cherub that cover it, where he spreads over, where he covers, is an expanse that is, you can't find the dimensions of it. Because he was actually higher than Zion. He was placed in the mountain of God. And in that mountain is the place where they put an innumerable company of angels. Innumerable means that you cannot count them. Do you agree? Imagine, imagine what kind of an entity, a soul, did God create that can pastor an innumerable number of, of entities? Seraphs. <laughs> and you're not pastoring just anyhow. Things are. So, so it's someone who can, who can, God can put him to watch over innumerable seraphims. So you need to understand the way he's framed and the way he's designed. He has to have an everlasting nature, right, for you to be able to do that. So, so that kind of a nature is where sin fountains from. That's why sin abounds, right? That's why sin, is, you, it's hard for you to find sin. And then you say, ah, this is where the sin ended, though. It's as if the sin is finishing. Have you ever, have you found any person? Have you ever seen a wicked person who, who has gotten bored and sad? They ask, Why are you sad? Why are you angry? Said that I have finished all the sin in the world. There's no sin to do. <laughs> I have, we have finished all the iniquity. There's no longer, what? What? There's no. You know the, the radio station from where instructions of sin comes from. It does not. It does not end. It does not. When you feel you've gone to that direction, you found you've explored this whole area. Sin tell okay. There's one in that corner. Open that place. There's another. And like iniquity, praise God. 
something else. Sin does not end because of where it's flowing. It's a spirit, the spirit who makes men sin. He's a generator of sin. Satan, the devil, is a generator of sin. He distributes sins through in his own in his own kingdom. Praise God. Amen. Demons go and fetch from powers and principalities. They fetch from powers and what? And principalities. When a demon deals his own nature into his soul, and the soul is finishing the nature of that demon, the, the demon will signal to his headquarter, which is the realm of principality and power under which that soul has been given where the, that soul has its jurisdiction, the, the dimension, the neighborhood of that soul in the spirit, it will signal to that place, okay, this, yeah, finish your nature, no wahala, let's graduate him. <laughs> are you getting me? And then, more and more, are you getting what I'm saying? Praise God. So, sin abounded. The way sin is, sin abounds. Sin abounds. But, praise, are you seeing that? So, that is why it's not enough for a soul to have life. And it's not enough for a soul to even have life. Listen, no. it's not enough for a soul to have life to, that is enough for the measure of iniquity that his own soul had trapped. You know, life comes to extinguish that sin. Am I correct? To remove sin from the soul. Praise the Lord. But it's not good for a soul to even have. Because when you have enough for that level, there is still more sin coming. As long as you are in the flesh. Do you see that? That's why life is not enough. You must have it more abundantly. Jesus said the thief cometh not but to steal. That's to steal means he's taking little by little. Are you seeing that? To steal. To steal. What is he stealing? Is life. So when the devil is stealing from a person, the devil is removing the life. Stealing from you means removing your deposits of life. Comes into the soul, whatever life is found there, he has sins that can remove them. So he's stealing from the soul by removing life. Every time a person sins, life is going. Sin is removing life. It's removing life. Then then to kill, when he has killed a soul, is when the abundance of sin has overcome his own abundance of life. Do you, do you see that? That's it. At that point, then he has, he has killed a soul. When the abundance of sin has overcome the abundance of life. But after killing a soul, he can still destroy the soul because of his own nature. It takes an everlasting nature to destroy a soul. A demon cannot destroy a soul. A demon can steal from a soul. And to be honest, it takes even more than a demon to kill a soul. Only demons can't, don't have the power to kill a soul. You need spiritual wickedness in high places a high level of wickedness that is skilled with, in other words, there are some kind of sins in the spirit that a person can begin to go into that, can, that will bring about death. 
Praise God. But to destroy a soul means to disintegrate a soul. It takes an everlasting creature to do that. So destruction is the sole work of Satan himself. Is the sole work of Satan. Satan is the, is the one who has the, the capacity of destruction. He can destroy. To destroy means to put a soul beyond, to a point beyond where life can get to them anymore. And it's possible for a soul to get to that place where they can no longer receive life. Why? Because he, he, he scatters the soul. He takes the soul and removes, disjoints it, puts parts around. He rearranges the soul. You know, Satan destroys by rearrangement. The order, tamper with the nature. Right? When you disfigure the nature, and that's why sins against nature are very, very bad. Your sins against nature are sins of destruction. Right? When you sin against nature, you know, you, you, you can sin against life. Right? Sin against life will kill, can kill. But it's not, but to, when you begin to sin against the str- nature, it's different. Why? Because nature is the container of life. Yeah. It's the container that's carrying life. Every, each one of you, you have a nature that God created. And when God made that nature, he created it to carry life. And he put measure of life in the beginning. We all started with measures of life. When you came into the world, you inherited your own measure of life inside your natural container. And that natural container, I'm just talking about your frame as a man. I'm talking about the frame of your soul, right, that can carry life. There's a way it is arranged. Do you understand that? Now, the work, it will take an everlasting entity like the devil to tamper with nature. Because to, to get to where nature is better, you must have removed life and removed life and removed life and removed life till you begin to hit the nature of a soul. So, so people sin and sin and sin and sin. Most of the sins against nature, which we are seeing right now in the current world, is because men have seen for too long that they are now beginning to move. There's no longer room again to sin without being destroyed. So in other words, when you've tampered with so much, there's no longer anything to tamper with apart from nature itself, right? To go and sin against nature. <laughs> Praise God. Fornicating is sin. Adultery is sin. It's that can take away life. It's sin against God's life inside a man. Praise God. But when you say a man and a man should get married, that you're not sinning against life. You're sinning against nature. That's, that's the uniqueness of that sin. That's why some people try to equate that kind of sin with. Well, some of us, some people drink, some people lie, and some people, this is their own. So don't differentiate between. Why are you differentiating between? Why are you taking that sin and amplifying it <laughs> as if it's, it's greater than the other? Sin is sin. No, sin is not sin. Sinning against life and sinning against nature are not the same thing. And when you read the scripture, those kind of sins, the devil, God, does, the scripture does not handle them the same as other sins. When God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, all the nations of the earth were sinning. All the tribes, everybody were all sinners on the earth. Everybody was sinning. Everybody were sinners. <laughs> Do you agree? Was there any nation not, not sinning? No. 
but God picked one nation and destroyed them. Yeah, because yeah, because of sins are not sins, right? But that's also a lie of the devil. You know, you know, the devil is very, very bad. Eh? When the devil creates an evil, he's just created a fresh evil that he's done. Then he will now come inside the church and then begin to instruct the church, give them revelation. You see that evil? This is the language how you deal with that evil, okay? This is the wisdom of dealing with that evil. Are you getting me? So that's why you see, you see pastors say, oh, well, we don't talk about you know, homosexuality and all of that, gay and all, all those things. No, because we don't want to focus on the sins of people. You know? It's like the same way we don't talk, pick people out who you know, come. We are all sinners. You know, we just come to church. We are all sinners because, praise God. <laughs> they say, I, I, have you seen? Do you sin? Do you sin? Why should we pick on the other brother's sin or the other sister's sin bigger than your own sin? That thing sounds very, it sounds very theologically accurate, right? Who thought that thing is a lie? Because you see, you see the, the pastors and people who say such things, that thing didn't just come to them. The first time when the, the, the thought of those kind of sins came, into, came to their consciousness, it shocked them. I mean, there are people who do this. You know what I mean? That shock, the, the, it, must, it registered as an abomination. There is nobody that the first time you heard that thing, it did not register to you as an abomination. Not in the same class as lying and stealing. It registered somewhere. Are you getting me? So the wisdom and the revelation to now treat it like other sins is not natural. It is an evil spirit who came and taught it to those Men, men who are looking for a way not to offend the world. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. After a while, they join. How do we handle this thing? How do we, how do we? Because you know, when you come and talk against it, they label you. They do all kinds of things against you. Repercussions. Wow, what, there must be a wisdom. How do we? Why, ah. Oh, the wisdom is this: all sins are the same. Ah. What a revelation! But it's not true. And a soul can accept such things because you've not gone deep into the, into the, the scriptures. Those things are abomination, though. Let me just say it here. So if anybody is, uh, uh, praise God, so we have to try to love the, to love the sinner, the sinner and hate the sin. Thank God for loving the sinner and hate the sin. I accept that. That's the principle of loving the sinner and hating the sin. But there is a <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> there are many things that you need to know. Number one, number one. It's not everybody that you can love. Love is not a... Love... Praise God. Love is not candy. That you can just come and share. Ah, okay, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. You can just turn off and on. You can't. You don't know what love is. You have, you have a finite capacity. As long as you've not yet inherited eternal life, 
you have the capacity of what you can love and who you can love. Now, is that how that statement sounds very clean and theologically accurate? Love the sinner. Hate the sin. If I ask you, do you have the capacity to separate between a sinner and a sin? Do you have the machinery to do that? You're talking about capacities that God has. You don't have that. Even your, your own wife, you can't love her and hate her sin. Talk less of it. Wow. <laughs> Are you getting what I'm saying? Yes. That we don't have that capacity. That when you try, you are trying to do that, you will find that you've started loving the sin. It's like you're trying to tell a man, go and do what God does. Uh-huh. What, you know how God does it, eh? That God can look at me and the way I am. You know, do you think it's a trivial thing to do that? The way God looks at me and says, Ah, I separate your sin from you. I, can, I still love you and we can deal with your sin. That's a God power. It's a, it's a great energy to be able to do something like that. You, you must have so much salvation, so much stature of salvation. It's, it's akin to the same kind of power that Jesus had dealing with, with who? Judas. Imagine that, it wasn't, imagine that you gave Judas to Peter to handle. What would Peter have done? Are you getting me? And that, that difference between Peter and Jesus was very clear that night they came to take Jesus. Am I correct? I mean, Peter, after working with Jesus, by then he should have known things now. That this guy is just a guy. They just sent him here. It's he's, he's his job. It's possible that that guy doesn't even have anything personally against Jesus. Maybe even secretly likes Jesus. But it's just his job to come and capture him. And before he knew it, his ear was off. <laughs> Are you getting me? And then they are telling us to love the sinner. What? We don't have that. So... Are you get what I'm saying? Yeah. There are many things you will flee from. Don't even, don't, let's yeah. Yeah. Praise God. Let, I will leave God to love you. Yeah. Let me go and love at my level. Yeah. <laughs> are you seeing that? When we're speaking concerning Lot, about Lot in, in Sodom, right? He said that that place was vexing his righteous soul. It was vexing his righteous soul. In other words, they didn't say that, well, he was there in, uh, surrounded by unrighteousness and he wasn't affected because he was a man of God. No. Are you, are you able to be living constantly with vexation of your soul? After a while, that ve- you know that vexation of your soul is a reaction that let this thing not come close here. It's reacting towards an iniquity. If you, you maintain that thing, it can defeat that reaction. And you, you will begin to love that thing because you don't have power against it. Wow. 
That's why there are some things that you should be separate from. Flee from them. Run away from them. Any, any kind of suggestion about it, don't even expose yourself to them. Praise the Lord. The reason why we treat these sins the way we do is because we don't know what sins, what sins are. Praise the Lord. Amen. (laughs) I hope this will be our last video on YouTube. (laughs) Because even this is even their month, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Why is this kind of message coming in their month, eh? Praise God. You know, that's, that's, one of, that's the stage we are in right now. The stage, even in the church, the devil wants to, let's just make it feel okay, normal. Oh, this is just, they're just, it's another kind of evil they are struggling with. It's not true. It's not the same thing. Father, we bless you. We give you praise. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. You have to be careful. Thank God that God delivered a lot. Right? You know, the casualty of that situation was Lot's wife. I'm sure Lot was still able to fight until God delivered him. But by the time they were leaving, the reaction of his wife showed that she, to her, it wasn't thank God. I'm sure Lot was probably, God, thank you. You delivered us from this thing. She was looking back. She was... Who do you think she was looking for? She was looking back at maybe her friends, maybe her co-workers, that they work together. Right? Even though they are into all those things, but well, well, she just, maybe she just saw their humanity. You know all the things that we see, all those kind of things that we say. And as soon as she turned back, she God. In that moment, that turning back was a sin against that moment. Yeah. That yeah. moment of salvation. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. So you see that the Abraham's faith was Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Abraham's faith was a faith that was according to a promise, by a promise, dictated by a promise, and focused on a particular promise that God had given to him. Thank you, Jesus. 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 
Have mercy, Lord. 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 Have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy. Oh, you have mercy. You will 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 have mercy. Oh, yes, you will have mercy. You will have mercy. You will have mercy. Oh, you will have mercy, Lord. You have mercy. Have mercy, Father. Have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy. Oh, have mercy. 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 Oh, have mercy. Oh, have mercy. Oh, have mercy. Lord, 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 have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy. Can we just pray? Just want to pray for this land, Canada. Let's ask for the mercy of God. Let's ask for the mercy of God. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy. Have mercy, Father. Have mercy. Have mercy. Oh, many Karadoske, mercy. Oh, many Karadoske. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy, have mercy. Have mercy. Oh, many. Amanaso. Leno Simana. Leno Simeno. Oh, many Stimenota. Arista Para Seprano Scuriela Vazuske. Ori Edodiscari Edrodiske Libre Joli Cavranota Iera Vazure de Boscheria. Ombranta Lamata Kaya Lobaralasco Li Gariento Ribedoske. Yen Kaba Mahu Ricala Vazusente Liendo Brenjuske Libranta Iea. Alla mercy, elder mercy, and mercy, elder mercy. Elder mercy, elder mercy, elder mercy. And your mercy, Eldron El Mercy, Eldron All Mercy, Eldi All the Mercy, Ombri Alta Mercy, Garion Talian Mercy, Eldalian Kalion Mercy. Oh, have mercy. Lord, 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 have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on this land. Have mercy on this land. Have mercy on this land. Have mercy, Lord. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy. O menelian tamaluske librai la lubrade yoske librandoli kamauria patana. Empatana, Empatana, Ompatana, Empatana, Ompatana, Zobrienta Patana. Have mercy. Have mercy. 
Oh, have mercy, Lord. Shari Kandeliva Lusta Paridos Kation Day. Meliata Paramascoli and Jone Kaya Labas Kayata Paladoya. Dominators, have mercy, Lord. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on us. 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 Thank you.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. We know you have heard us today. So cry for your mercy for our souls and for this nation and for the, the souls of the people here. That your mercy, your salvation, Lord, will flow like a river, like a flood, oh God, from the east to the west, the north to the south, Lord. Your mercy, Lord, will reach out and bring help, bring deliverance, bring salvation. We pray that many will be saved. You will stop the advancement towards destruction and call many souls back. Bring them back even to life, even to abundant life. Thank you, our Father. We give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just continue. Amen. Skill. There's so much skill. The Lord will be imparting skill to us to, to deal with the, the machinery of the devil. Praise God. You know, sometimes it seems like God has been slow. No, you are, why is all this insight? Why is all this revelation? Why is it coming now? What about generations who have dealt with the devil's devices and have been in bondage and never saw light like this? It's okay. Sometimes God allows the devil to feel like he's, he's winning. Amen. But God is not slow. The way men count slowness. Praise God. God is quick. God is powerful. And we'll begin to see it's just that God deals with their times of his intervention, his visitation. And I strongly believe that this generation we're going to see the visitation of God like, like never before. But we'll begin to see God's answer. A lot of things that the devil has been doing with men for a long time, it seems as if God has just been silent. But we'll begin to see God's, God's answer against sin, against death against iniquity, we begin to see men within, men will begin to carry the knowledge of God. Men will begin to have so much knowledge, so much understanding that the, before their face, before their eyes, the, the mystery and the iniquity of iniquity, the mystery of sin will be, will be dissolved. And as that dissolution happens, the power of sin will be broken. Amen. The strength of iniquity will be broken. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. So, so you see that faith has to do with a promise. Or the purpose of faith is to, to inherit the promise. Right? And like Jesus, when he met Paul on the way to Damascus, right, he said, for this purpose have I sent you right, to open the blind eyes, to turn them from darkness unto light and from the power of Satan unto God that you might what? Receive forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among them by what? Faith that is in me. Praise God. So what the faith in him will give are two things, forgiveness of sin and then the inheritance. Are you seeing that? 
among them that have been sanctified by faith that is in him. So this faith that is in him, that same, same faith that was preached to Abraham, that was ministered to Abraham, and that faith, we have to, we have to walk in the steps of that faith. Let's zero in on something here. Um, verse 19. Also, let's read verse 20 of this Romans chapter 4. It says that I'm being, and then being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform, and then therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. So the point at which this faith was, was accounted, or what they call imputed here for him for righteousness, was, was when he had fulfilled the process, praise God, in, in Romans chapter, sorry, in Hebrews chapter 11, Amen. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse, verse 13, right? It says that these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were pilgrims on and they were strangers and pilgrims of, on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. So he says here that, that they, in verse 13, after they saw it afar off, then they became persuaded of them and then embraced them. Praise God. So the point of embrace is the point of full persuasion. Praise God. The, the point of what embrace is the point of what? Full persuasion. So you get persuaded, you have to continue in your persuasion till you get to a point of full persuasion. So the point of full persuasion, as Paul puts it in Romans chapter 4, as we're reading here, in verse 20, he says, He staggered not at the promise of God, through unbelief, strong in faith, giving glory to God, and then being fully persuaded. So he had come into fullness of persuasion. When someone has been fully persuaded of something, it's the point where you say they've embraced it. So when you've embraced something, it means that you have been fully persuaded concerning it. And say what he had promised, he was able to perform. That was the persuasion of Abraham. That what God, was, what God had promised, that God was what? able to perform, and then when at that point of full persuasion, then he received something. It's called the imputation of righteousness. This is the point when righteousness is imputed to a man at this particular point here. When a man has come into full persuasion concerning the promise of God. For every revelation that you have now, I want you to begin to see this right now in light of your New Testament soul. Because it's the same process. Because it says you are also to walk in the steps of who? Of our father Abraham. So this, what does it mean of steps? It means the same pattern of walking. It's the same pattern. So the Abrahamic faith, the pattern and the DNA of the Abrahamic faith is the same DNA of the faith of the Son of God, which is a property of New Testament believers. Praise God, which is 
faith for righteousness. That's the faith of the Son of God or the faith of Christ. Is the faith for righteousness. That's just, that's just it. Faith for righteousness. Are you seeing it very clearly? What was Abraham's faith for? It's for righteousness. The Bible did not say, and Abraham believed God, and because of that, his descendants inherited the promised land. Even though that happened, but that was not the story of his belief. Believe God, and it was counted for him for righteousness. That was the purpose of his kind of faith. So Abraham is a man who God used to, to show a faith that can result in righteousness. Praise, do you see that? And that's the purpose of the, new, of, the, of the faith of the son. So when the Bible says they preached the gospel to Abraham in Galatians chapter 3, it was actually also the gospel of righteousness. It's actually the gospel of faith that Paul referred to in Romans chapter 1. Or he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew and also to the Greek. Right forward. Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Now listen, to, read that place again. That, that in that place is righteousness revealed from faith to faith, meaning that each faith releasing its imputing its own righteousness. Right? That faith is impu- righteousness is imputed to a soul from faith to faith. As it is written that the just shall live. That was him that will be justified or him to whom it shall be counted for righteousness. That just man is because of he has lived by faith. So the faith of the epistle is the faith whose end product is righteousness. Does that make sense to you? Amen. Now, what the Lord wants to know is teaching us is then is the process of, right? The process of being, receiving the imputation of righteousness. See, that place is what the devil fights us. He fights us in that place. He fights it. So there is a skill, so I need to fall from our eyes, a veil that needs to be removed in the process of how to receive righteousness from God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. So to receive this righteousness, it is the reason why we don't do righteousness because we've not received righteousness. So sometimes there's a tendency to try and teach doing righteousness or we think righteousness is, but we don't teach receiving of righteousness. Do you get that? Because we are only conscious of the righteousness that is manifested outwardly. But we, we jump to that part. So, so it's not, we feel like ah, if we can get all these unrighteous men to start doing this way, then we'll be happy. We can count them as righteous people. Are you getting And that has been the focus of 
ministering in Christian ministry for a long time, if we can just get all these guys to stop behaving like this and start behaving according to what you think righteousness is. So a lot of times we find that when guys, and you know the world is very smart, when you, when you see a really worldly soul that has, that has oil of worldliness, you know, there are different levels of anointing of worldly souls. There are some that are so anointed. When the ones that really have oil of worldliness, when they come around a, a religious person, they will just say, ah, okay, so this, really, this is what we really need. All you want from me is just to be behaving this way. No problem. That's a smart thing. We can do it. So all they need to do is just change their behavior to conform with whatever thing you expect. And then the religious guy, when he says, ah, you have changed. <laughs> ah, God has worked on you. God has, God has changed you. Thank God for his mercy and his grace. But it's just a worldly soul that, has, that is copying the word works righteousness. You see, that's why here they mention that he must not walk. That work is that is is a necessity. It's an I. Is a anybody who seeks to be for to receive a count in righteousness. It is a it is a is a it's an it's a command concerning that matter. You must not walk. You must not walk concerning that matter. Is a command. Do you, do you get it? You must not walk. You must not walk. You, yes, must not walk. Why did you see? And Paul didn't even care to even explain in this chapter. Is James later on and I began to say, okay, some of you are having problem with Paul's revelation. <laughs> let me let me help you guys. Now, okay, faith without works is dead. Okay, was James? Explain that one, all right? Yes, <laughs> Later. But at this point, Paul did not even care. Because, you know, in Romans, was he, he was writing the, the, the doctrine. It was, it was writing the foundations of faith. Paul was writing the foundation of faith. And when you are teaching, when you are imparting this kind of knowledge, it's not too important to even talk about the, the works that grace will produce later. Later season. Those will be those will, will come like like James began to bring into add to the conversation later on, because if you if you bring that too much, you can mix things up. The soul can easily mix things up. That when you are preaching it, there's an evil spirit that's interpreting what you are saying and telling the soul that what this guy is actually saying is that you must begin to do A, B, C, D, and that's what they will take away from what you're saying. So Paul had to do it very de- definite terms and say that he who refuses to walk, but instead believeth in God who justifieth the ungodly. Praise the Lord. Do you see that? See, that, that aspect is one area that is lacking. That's why a lot of times with the word of righteousness, when you come into the word of righteousness circle, you see that it's as if his emphasis is just here, here, and here, and here, and here, and here, and here. Just, just keep hearing, hearing. Just here, and here, and here, and here. And a lot of times the devil hates that thing. He hates it with a passion. Why should a man stop walking? Why would a man be hearing and just be hearing and just be hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing? 
He wants you to grow weary of hearing. Grow tired of hearing. Feel like you need to go and do something else. You need to go and add something to your hearing. The real reason why they didn't emphasize on the works here is the real truth is that when it's time to walk, you know it's called that righteousness is a person. If righteousness has not a reason as a person, then I say, okay, now we have things to do. Then it's not time. Keep hearing. That when righteousness is time for righteousness to do his works, it's not a matter of, you won't be asking, okay, do we need to do this right? No. If, if you are still, that conversation is still there, it means that you've not heard enough. The, that's the honest truth. That's the honest truth. The honest truth is that if it's real righteousness, after a while, the works of righteousness will begin to manifest. Unless there is, the devil now does, there's another work he can do later. <laughs> but that's a different thing altogether. For, for a lot of people, they are not even hearing. Praise the Lord. They are not hearing. So, if you are not hearing, it means that the promise cannot be unveiled to you. Right? If it's not unveiled to you, you don't understand the promise. You've not heard the promise. You've not been, you've not been convinced of it. You've not been persuaded concerning it. Anything you're not persuaded concerning yet, it will not become a righteousness in you. Right? If you've not been persuaded concerning something, it's not everything that you're persuaded about. It's not every message you've heard you've been persuaded of. It's not every truth that has come to you that you have been persuaded about. And let me tell you something. Any element of what you've heard you've not been persuaded of yet, is not, you are not yet righteous in that matter. And you don't yet have the credibility in that area. Because the righteousness for that thing has not been imputed into your heart. No man can receive righteousness in any other way apart from the spiritual release of an imputation of righteousness that comes out of persuasion and embracing of the word, of the truth, of the promise of God. So, for something to, to be released as righteousness on your inside, it means that the persuasion and the embrace of the promise of life concerning that revelation must have been seen by you. Do you get that? Do you get what I'm saying? The promise, eh? Now, we already know if we come to the other end, if we find that, look, this promise is actually life <laughs> and everlasting life, life and more, life more abundantly. You agree with me. So, so that means that in the way you resolve anything, any matter, any scripture, anything that comes to you by revelation, is that if you've not yet through that, if in that revelation, you've not seen a promise of life behind it, it means that you have not yet, you've not followed the process. You get. 
you must see the promise of life. When revelation is coming, that revelation that is coming should be, the way it should be sitting in you, it should be sitting as a promise of life. Are you getting me? If he's sitting as, ah, something to go and do, that is, I'm not saying that something to go and do cannot come. That comes too. That comes as a portion of the ministration of the word. It's, that is handled by the spirit of counsel. You understand? Handled by who? The spirit of counsel. Yeah. But that comes too. But the spirit of counsel does not come. It's not everything that spirit of counsel. A lot of time it's not the spirit of counsel. A lot of the time it's your own, it can be the natural mind, the carnal mind, and which is by extension evil spirits. Because they are the ones who program the carnal mind. They knew when that revelation would come, they knew how you should interpret it when it comes. Right? So that carnal mind can interpret a revelation or something that's coming to you and say, okay, go and do it. So you can, whenever you're trying to do something, but you've not seen the promise of life in it. Then, then it means that your motive for doing it will not be right. Yeah. There will be a different motive yes, for doing it. Yes, the intent concerning it yes, will not be correct. The only reason why you should be doing things is life. Right? Because life is the promise. Do you understand that? Yes, if, yes. if life is not the reason why you are doing something, it means that you are seeing another promise. Yes. Means that there's another reason. It might be something selfish. It might be something out of natural disposition that you feel naturally nice and good to do. There are many reasons why you can do something, but when you do that thing, it will not count as righteousness. Are you seeing that? Remember what, remember what, what we said last time that what God wants to really work in us is He wants to work the program that 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 works, the real thing. What actually, that, the image that actually works. The image that works is an image of righteousness. That's an image that has come from the, by the imputing of God's righteousness through persuasion and embrace of the promise of life concerning matters, things that God has brought. So, praise God. Does that make sense to you? Say promise. 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 So what is promised to you is life. And life more abundantly. So in this place... Romans chapter 4, he says that he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, right? But was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and then being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to what? Perform. And therefore, it was imputed unto him. It was imputed unto him. Imputed unto him for righteousness. Praise God. 
Now, there's something, I think it was something we were discussing in, on the road coming here was about this idea of Abraham and all that. Why we can, um, you know, Abraham was a different kind of man from you and I, right? Now, why can we follow Abraham's pattern, right? And Abraham who followed the pattern, what was, is the outcome of what he followed? Praise God. You know, we are receiving life, eternal life. Does that mean Abraham also received life? And eternal life too. Praise God. Now, to understand this, this whole thing, um, we need to see the difference in the kinds of men. All right, there are different kinds of men. There is a natural man, right, which Adam was the, or the old God, the first man. Then there is the second man, and then there are angels, right? Angels are also men, too, in that sense. I'm talking, when I say man, I mean stature that God create, raised. You now find that in all of those places where, where you find men, Praise God. Amen. Amen. Just want to touch on that, the interpreting the promise of life. That's, that's the key. Finding it. Finding the promise of life. Because until you found the promise of life and then be persuaded concerning it and embrace it, you won't get to that point where righteousness is coming. It's coming to you. Praise God. Many a lot of things that just come into mind of many issues that a lot of people, many of us sometimes have in terms of obeying this, obeying that, living according to this, this rule and all of that. Many of times it's because we don't know, we don't understand the process of, of this whole thing. It's not about trying to be a certain way or trying to live a certain way or all, all that. Um, there, there are times when you grow to a point where your life begins to be loaded with instructions and counsel. That thing is a high place. It's not, that thing does not happen to babies, like baby Christian, right? Like someone just getting born again, and they're just getting Holy Ghost. God is telling me, do this, do this, do this, do that. That can happen at a meek level with the Holy Spirit. That one can happen. But a lot of times, instruction of like that, or counsel, to the, to, for counsel to be coming f- f- like that, is because of so much abundance of righteousness. It is a righteous man who counsel from God comes to for to establish him in righteousness. Are you getting me? He's a person who has, who has stayed with the, the word of the promise and wrestled with it and wrestled with it and and become persuaded with it. And have come to a place of embrace with the promise of it. From out of that embrace, that's where a lot of time the instruction. So when you see, when you see such a person living and say, yeah, God told me to do this, and God instructed me to do this, and instructed me to do the other thing, 
and all that. Sometimes you can take what they said and just go and do it, but it's not the same thing. Are you getting what I'm saying? You don't, you don't, you don't, because and one, a lot of times when you are doing, trying to do things like that, people can get hurt. That's why you see a, you see a person saying, I tried to love, walk in love with this sister, and the sister was not responding, and it got me angry. <laughs> to try to walk in love now cause a bigger problem. That would be good if you didn't even try to walk in love. Are you getting what I'm saying? The fight that we are solving now is that you try to walk in love, and the reaction you got wasn't what you like, and it's now causing a bigger problem. And the reason why it's causing a problem is because you are trying to walk in love, but with a, you've not, you had no sight of, you are oblivious to what walking is even about. You, you've not even had a conversation about life in your heart. You don't even know, you're not even thinking about life to start with. You're just trying to go and do something. Then when you're in trying to do that thing, demons are involved, evil spirits are involved, they will backfire back to you in such a way that jam your soul. Some kind of hot or pain or something that would <laughs> all kinds of messy things, right? <laughs> it's because of you've not you've not sat with enough you've not had enough sight of what the real promise is. You are not laboring for the promise. You are laboring for some idea or something that you have. Are you getting me? Laboring for the promise is different than just trying to be a certain way or something. Someone who's laboring for a promise, they're not even, they're not even thinking about you, how you respond. It's not, that's, not their pro- that's the last thing they are concerned about. Are you getting me? When they are trying to be humble and uh, just trying to put themselves under and trying to serve, they don't even care about your face, whether you are accepting it, whether you are not accepting it, whether you are... They don't, what? Because the promise behind that operation is yeah. deep. It's, yeah. it's life that they are looking for. Yeah. And who they are looking to is not you. Yeah. They are looking for unto the person who justifies the ungodly. That's who they are looking to. Are you seeing that place? That eyes on the promise. That's where our that's where the doing part, obedience, that's where it's supposed to flow from. It should flow from a, a, a righteousness on the inside of us. Praise God. Yeah. This kind of plays out like in a marriage, for example. That's the reason why the husband is saying, ah, I know I understand this part. Husband, love your wife. But the other part says, the wife submits to your husband. Are you getting me? So they are fighting. Wait. So. Huh? You know that, 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 that chapter has caused a lot of problems. Can you tell me what's the problem with? Who should do it first? Is it that <laughs> the husband feels that, well, what will make him love is when the wife submits. 
That's a mighty revelation. Well, as he's having that revelation there, he's happy. His wife is having her own revelation too. Wow, she's seen, wow, what a submissive woman she will become. If her husband can just begin to love. That's a husband and wife situation, right? But that thing happens to all of us. We are living with brethren at home. You, as, as revelation is coming, when revel, revelation comes, I wonder, are these guys listening to this revelation? That I'm listening to? Are, they, are, they, are they hearing what, what they are saying that we should be doing? Why are, you, why are you concerned about them hearing it? What is the, what is the concern? What is the concern? Because the fear is that you will just be, you will just be living in another revelation world that these guys are oblivious to. So you are turning out a standard. Praise God. And there is no reciprocal whatever. You know what? Let there be a balance. We are growing together. All of us. That's when a carnal man is handling the promises. It means that that, that is, a, is an operation that is not in the steps of Abraham. It's not in the steps of Abraham. It's not in the steps of Abraham. It's not, you're not looking to God who justifies the ungodly. You're not. <laughs> you're looking for a reciprocal operation. Are you getting me? And the reason is because why? Can you tell me why? You've not had that revelation you got. You haven't handled it to the point where you are persuaded. You're not really persuaded about it. You've not seen the promise of life behind it and walked with it. You're persuaded about it. When that thing hits you, you will not care. Yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> you won't care about her. Because you are, you are possessed with the promise. Like Abraham was possessed with the promise. Amen. Are you seeing that? promise of life. What we are supposed to inherit, right? That's what we have to be, our mind, every revelation is coming to to raise that expectation in the inside of us. Praise the Lord. So when you receive revelation, food, the word is coming. What, how, what should you do with it? In Abraham's time, Abraham, what he was seeing was not just not a land and all that. 
what Abraham was seeing was being justified before God. Do you see that? Being what? Justified. That was why he was doing what he was doing. That's the reason why he could give up Isaac. Do you see that? Being justified before God. So it means that Abraham had his own kind of justification, right? Which is, is different from your own. Because you and Abraham are not the same kind of men. Right? You are not the same kind of men. But he had his own, right? His own promise. Which, what that justification would be equal to. Because what the justification should produce is according to the promise that is given to that kind of man. Do you agree? Yes, that kind, the kind of man that Abraham was now, the, the, the justification, sorry, and the promise for that Adamic kind of man is not natural things. There is no man that God made for natural things. <laughs> Do you agree? There's no man that God made. God did not create any soul, any kind of soul, living soul, or even that has spiritual capacity for just something in the natural. God God is not a wicked God that will come and say the summary of what he has promised you is something natural. God is not like that. So that was not what God promised him. What God really came to Abraham, what he was trying to get across to him was justification. But the language seems like that's not the case. It seems like he just wanted to give him a land and all of that when you read the scripture. But it's actually just, it takes the spiritual eyes to see it. Now, the reason why you, we have to learn Abraham's faith is because Abraham was the, that faith, right, or the gospel, say gospel, gospel. the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is what was preached to Abraham. Like we're saying, it's not that God now gave Abraham Christ, that Abraham should now become Christ. That's not what the gospel of Christ being preached to him was. Right, because Abraham's his spirit was dead, right? He was a first man, he had a first man spirit. Praise God. Not a second man spirit. But you and I we are different. We have a second man spirit, which is a Christ spirit. So but Christ, the gospel of Christ is a syllables. Right? It's a Christ is a bread. Right, he's a meal, he's a program that should, it, that contains a pattern. It contains an essence, and it also contains a pattern, an essence and a pattern. So when you you teach Christ, someone can extract the pattern out of it, and that pattern can work for them because the law is the same way that I that angels consume Christ. Do you, do you believe that? And when you go into the second heaven, that's why we can, we can be learning about, you are learning Christ. When they want to teach you about Christ, they are teaching you about the heavens, about the angels, about all of that stuff. Am I correct? Because it's the same pattern up there. But angels cannot become Christ. 
in his essence because they are a different kind of man, of man or creatures than Christ. The way the first man is different from the second man. Praise God. Now, in, in, Jesus said something. He said, of all men born of a woman, that was in Matthew 11, so that they had none and reason, like unto who? Unto John. But the least in the kingdom is greater than he. So, or men, that word reason means men who have grown, who have developed, right, in stature, which is the same order of Abraham. Right? He was, Abraham raised by God. But he could not enter into the kingdom. <clears throat> Are you seeing that? So in Abraham's own stature, you will see the same formation of Christ for his own kind of man. You will find it there. You see, this is the same fatherly formation, the same everlasting fatherly formation that you find in Christ. You also find it in him. But even though he is not Christ, he's not really a Christ. Because who is Christ? Christ is a man that was made for, he's not just, he's a new man, but he's a man who is made for the habitation of the heavens to come. A man that is made for the heavens to come. Now, if you take Abraham, he cannot handle the heavens to come. Because he's a natural man. He's an earthly man. Are you getting that? But in that earthly man's stature, you will find there's an everlasting stature that a natural man can arise to. There's a Christly stature that a natural man can arise to. The analogy I was using is the analogy of a man and a dog. The same food you feed a man, you can feed it to a dog. When you take that food, you break it down, you can see it's the same molecular organization, pattern of things, the way it's constructed. What separates a protein from a carbohydrate? It's its construction of carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, and all of that. They are constructed differently. So the different laws, praise God. But you can take those laws, feed it to a man, and then feed it to a dog, and let them both be growing. But they will all both grow to their fullness. But yeah. after they've grown to their fullness, the dog cannot do what a man can do. Because of their natural, their different kind of things, creatures. Are you getting me? They are different creatures. So, so the, the natural man is a different creature from the born-again Christian. Even though you can feed them the same thing. That's why you can preach the gospel of Christ to Abraham. And we can eat of the same gospel. And then the same gospel is what they preach in heaven to angels. It's not the same. Do you think their angelic gospel is a different gospel? It's not the same. It's not, it's not different, sorry. It's the same. That's why an, an angel can come to me and be sharing revelation. <laughs> with you. Right? Just talking the same scripture, everything. They are one with the same because it's the same food. 
Are you, are you getting what I'm saying? So, so you see scripture. Scripture is the meal. Contains the meal that should deliver the development of the life that you've gained access to. Which for us, by God's grace, is the, we've gained access to the life of the, of the second man or of the new man. And that by following in the same footsteps of faith, development can occur into our own potential in God. Praise the Lord. Does that make sense? Yes. Now, so this, com- this conversation about being fully persuaded um, concerning the promise, right, is actually a, a conversation of the conscience of men. Right, the conscience is the faculty in man that needs to be what persuaded. Do you agree? Now, let's see. So, speaking about Abraham here in chapter four, I think Paul initially in chapter two had spoken a little bit concerning men of that kind of order. Let's see who are without the law, or outside the law, or by their nature. Let's read chapter 2 of Romans. Chapter 2, verse verse 14. But when the Gentiles, which have not the law, right? So before he was speaking about the, in the law, the, the, the principles that people under the law must follow. It says that for verse 12, that for as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Right? For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be what? Justified. Praise God. For, the, for when the Gentiles which have, have not the law do by nature the what? Things. Are you seeing the key difference between the law and those who are without the law? The law is a lower order than the of justification, than the order of faith. Nobody under the law can tell you, I just believed it. Believing it is not enough. You must do it. Do you see those things Moses said? You can't say you just believed it. They are practices. You can't find your way around it. You can't, you can't, when they say that for this particular thing, you must do it this way. After 40 days, do this. You say, no, my own will be 45 days because this is how my own faith work is making me, you know. Are you getting me? Is that according to the law, justification comes by exact following of what the law is saying. Are you getting me? Now, which is a lower operation. Why is it? It's because it is not, the law doesn't interact with the conscience. That was that law of Moses. It's interacting with the, mostly the out, outward man, for the purification of the outward, of the outward man. Amen. Yeah. So, verse 14, it says, For the Gentiles which have not the law, that's those that who are uncircumcised, do by nature things contained in the law, that these having not the law, they are a law unto themselves. Now, you know, this Gentile here, you have to add Abraham to that. 
because Abraham was not a Jew. Abraham was not a Jew. <laughs> Even Isaac was not a Jew. Even Jacob was not a Jew. They were higher, they were higher people. The, the Jewish thing came out of their descendants. Praise God. So, so these Gentiles, it says, which they had not the law, they do, but they do by nature things containing the law. These having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Do you see that? They show now, now listen to this, the terms here. We're almost done. I just want to share something. Praise God. So he didn't say they show the, they, the process of their justification is that for such people, where God looks for work, for people in the law, God has to look for their physical body doing things to see a work for, to be, for justification. That's where God, God goes to pick things to weigh what has he done. He looks on the outside of men. But for men who are not under the framework of the law, where God looks for work is not outwardly. Where God looks for work is inside. That's where God looks for what? A work. Right? So, and say so these people, they show the work. So, see that what that law is trying to do is actually is the way it's actually worked on the inside of them. Right? Written in their hearts. And then their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, the meanwhile, excuse, excusing or accusing or excusing one another in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Praise the Lord. So, so the conscience is actually what, so when they say be persuaded and then become fully persuaded or embraced, so the, what the promise of the Lord is the conscience that has to be developed to, that has to be developed and upgraded to receive the consciousness of the promise of faith. So the New Testament is the tool that the Lord has given to raise the conscience or the consciousness of people. Anybody whose consciousness or conscience has not been raised, praise God, such a person will not be able to receive justification or righteousness. The conscience must be raised to become aware or to see the promise of life. Praise God. That's why in the book of Timothy, First uh, Timothy chapter 1, Paul was saying there that there are those who holding faith with a pure, with a good conscience, right? Who some haven't put away have made a shipwreck of their faith. It's the, so those who were not careful to translate what they are hearing into the persuasion, right? Who were not fully persuaded by things in the depth of their conscience, but were still around. But after a while, that lack of persuasion 
began to show, and it, pro it produced a what? A shipwreck of faith. Do you agree with that? Mm -hmm. So that aspect of, of coming into full persuasion concerning things, that is what it means to walk in the steps of Abraham. That was Abraham's labor. To come in, you stay with the truth, stay with the, a revelation, a light, an insight, until you become fully persuaded concerning it. That's what, that's what to do with the word. That's how to handle the word. It's not just hear it, go and copy it. No. You hear it, allow, there's a process of coming into persuasion. How you know you've been persuaded is when your eyes can see the promise of what? Of life concerning that thing. Am I making sense to anybody? See the word, promise of life. See, tell somebody, see the promise, see the promise. of life. See the promise of life. In everything, every insight, every insight that's coming to you, every revelation, every truth, everything the Lord is bringing contains a promise of life in it. You just need to find it. If that promise of life, you can't see it yet, it does not yet register in your conscience, you stay with that word, stay with that revelation, stay with that insight. Stay with it. Labor with it. Meditate upon it. Fellowship with it. Until your, your heart begins to see the promise of life. Until that, that promise is in terms of what the nature, the promise that it wants to deliver to you begins to appear as a hope on the inside of you. When that thing happens and you become fully persuaded, that's when you see it now begins to change your, even the outward and everything. Praise the Lord. Are we making sense today? Are we tired? Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. This means that you can't, we can't be, um, be fatigued when it comes to hearing, right? And then, and then sometimes the fatigue might not come in maybe being participating in hearing. Fatigue comes in in the, the attention that you pay to it and what you do with what you are hearing. That fatigue, so you, not, you cannot begin to dissociate your hearing from your living. That dissociation comes because you're not hearing properly. You're not using what you're hearing in the right way. You're not staying with it and then you're not making effort to move into the persuasion concerning what you are hearing. Hearing one thing and being persuaded of it is more beneficial than hearing 10 things and having no persuasion concerning what you are hearing. 
Or because those ten things will not produce one righteousness. It's better to have here one, two, and then become persuaded. Become persuaded. You should be moving from persuasion to persuasion. Persuasion to persuasion. Anytime you come to a meeting, you can come and be persuaded of things. When you listen to a message, come and come and receive fresh persuasion, fresh things to be persuaded about. Praise God. And a soul that journeys into persuasion of say being fully persuaded. Praise God. A soul that journeys into full persuasion. Such a soul will not fall short of inheriting the promise that those words are bringing. Praise the Lord. Amen. Um, Father, we thank you. We give you all the glory today. We bless you for your holy word. Thank you for speaking to us. Father, I ask for release of more insight, more clarity to our hearts. I ask for your Holy Spirit to make this word register in a, in a unique way, in a sound way in the inside of us. Thank you, our Father. We give all the glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. You dwells between the cherubim shine forth. You dwells between the cherubim shine forth.